Looney Libis. Today's guest is the CEO of Africa Eats, a holding company for small African-led agricultural enterprises that support hundreds of thousands of smallholder farmers and feed millions of people. The entrepreneurs are all graduates of Looney's Fledge Accelerator. He'll share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Looney, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's great to have a chance to catch up. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me back. It's It's been a while. You know, I, I credit you with having taught me nearly a decade ago with a vitally important principle of social entrepreneurship that uh, I have never forgotten. Um, but uh, you taught me the importance of having the social impact really genuinely baked in to a company's product or service uh, so that it wasn't in any way an add-on that could be carved off and have the company succeed without the impact. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be too painful in the example, but you know, Tom's Shoes, which was built on the premise of one for one, you could strip away the giveaway one and still have a shoe company, right? Uh, and so you taught me, and I really have valued that because I have looked for that ever since in all the work that I do. I'm mean, not always successful, but I've always tried to watch for that. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that. So now you're you're off on a new project, new-ish. You've been at it about three years, and I think it has some roots going back before that, but it's exciting. Tell us about Africa Eats. All right. So yeah, it's a, we consider it a spinoff of Fledge. Fledge is now 11 years old. Crazy how time flies. Uh, Fledge is a global network of impact accelerators. And by the time we got to 2020, we had two dozen graduates out of uh, 105 we invested in. We had two dozen that were in Africa, run by Africans working on food and ag. And speaking of embedding mission in, in the company, uh, we saw that if you want to actually solve hunger and poverty in Africa, you can't do it with philanthropy. There just isn't act. You you might be able to if all the philanthropists in the world spent all their money, nothing on that. And I mean all their money, not not just the money they give away. But they're not going to do that. They're not going to give away all their money, and therefore there isn't enough philanthropy. It has to be solved with for profits. So we had come across through the Fledge Network two dozen companies that. Um, solve this problem, you know, not completely, of course, because we're still small, uh, but make a dent into hunger and poverty. And they do it in what just seems like a natural, simple way, which is get rid of the post-harvest losses, drop them from, you know, about a third of the food that gets grown in Africa goes to waste before it hits anyone's plate. Lower that to three, four, five percent. And then on the poverty end, Wow, you step back and you realize that the people are poor. Most people in Africa are farmers. And they're poor not because they're uneducated or 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 any you know less less intelligent than anyone else. They're poor because no one buys their outputs. No one is buying what they're growing. And therefore, they don't have any money. Uh really simple. They have, you know, less than a dollar a day, a dollar a day, two dollars a day. The, The global poverty line, the World Bank, is uh, $2.15. And just for comparison, because your audience is probably mostly Americans, we 
we spend on our pets in this country about $2 a day. And about half of the people in Africa on their families spend $2 a day, $2.15 a day. Yeah. Um, so poor. Uh, and how do you solve that? It's not rocket science. You buy what they grow. That's it. We just, you know, we just set it up so that we have companies that buy the outputs of these farmers that and treat that food well. That solves the post-harvest losses, and these farmers have an income. That's and I want to say, voila, that's everything, but you know, that is 90% of the problem solved. That that is so simple. <clears throat> and yet uh scaling that is going to be a challenge. How's it going? You, you've been at this long enough now to to have some sense of trajectory. What yeah. are you seeing? Um, we're seeing it work. So this was all theory in you know in 2018 when the plan got written, and theory in 2019 when every institution I went to said, now that yeah, that can't work. Uh so here we are, it's 2023 and it works. So here's two measures how we how we know it's working. Uh, one, the total revenues of all the companies we work with was just under seven million dollars back in um, back in 2019 before we got going. Uh, these companies did the same amount of revenues this quarter, this last quarter than they did in 2019. Wow! Uh, so that quadrupled, roughly. Uh, last year was 24 million in total. But you know, every quarter it goes up. So yeah, we're we're at four times the the revenues. Um, and then that's one measure. That's financial. Yes, they scale up. And two, they were working with a few tens of thousands of farmers when we met them. Now it's one hundred and fourteen thousand farmers. And we know from these companies, they talk to these farmers, of course, because they're literally buying their food. Uh, and uh, on average, they're doubling the income of the farmers. And we know, you know, some of them, it's a dollar a day to two, and some it's two to four, and some it's three to six, right, depending on what the product is. But we have actually you know, improved the lives of more than a half a million people on the continent of Africa, right, the farmer and the family. Uh, and we're just doing that not by telling them to do something new, trying to get them to grow anything. These, these are, uh, what's, what's really exciting is this is just the everyday foods. This is literally just potatoes and onions and bananas and, and rice. This isn't cash crops. We don't do coffee. Um, this is just food everyone eats every day. Wow. As you, um, let's talk a little bit about the structure. You've set this up as a holding company. And so there is essentially a portfolio of two dozen plus little companies uh little and now they have an average of over a million dollars a year in revenue or about a million dollars that's pretty good uh, but give us a sense of specific examples what's in the portfolio okay the biggest one is east africa foods it used to be east africa fruits until this year uh when we met them in 2014 at fledge here in seattle it was a hundred thousand dollar year company that was what what happened after year one it's one-year-old company. Uh, nobody was going to fund this company because it was so tiny. Uh, so we did. Uh, and now they did uh, $10.6 in revenue last year, so 100 times bigger. And they are the largest fruit and vegetable aggregator in the country of Tanzania. And they make all their money on potatoes, onions, bananas, rice, and beans. 
And then they do a few other crops, but they make all their money basically on potatoes, onions, and bananas. Wow. 7,000 farmers, 10,000 retailers, uh, 75 trucks that drive across the country, pick up food uh, and bring it to Dar es Salaam. That's, a, that's our poster child, literally. Yeah. Uh, but also, you want uh, two other examples from Rwanda from the same entrepreneur. Uh, we met Hervé in 2016. He had the fourth largest meat processing company in Rwanda. It did $30,000 a year. They don't eat a lot of meat in Rwanda. It's a very poor country. Yeah. Uh, he growing up was post-genocide. He got to eat meat on Christmas. And there's protein deficiencies. I know there's all this talk in the in the U.S. and Europe about, you know, animals are killing the planet. Uh, if you don't eat enough protein, it's bad. It, it is really bad for kids. And uh, meat is a good source of protein for, for kids. So he wanted to solve this problem with animals. Uh, that business has grown to $1.4 million now. So seven, eight years later. Uh, but even more exciting, he, in the midst of the lockdowns in Rwanda, wasn't allowed to run his business for a month or two. When you make an entrepreneur bored like that, he tends to do something exciting. So he started a food and ag logistics company. He found a guy with four old beat up trucks. He borrowed them from him for a fee. So a loan, but not a bank loan. Uh, and he built the first and still only food and ag logistics, the refrigerated trucking fleet in the country of Rwanda. Wow. Uh, and in three years, it grew to $2 million in revenues, been profitable every month, 14 trucks now. Um, and uh, the trucks don't just drive around Rwanda, they drive all over Eastern Africa, from, from the coasts into, into the inlands, out to all the neighboring countries. Uh, and you know, we, we have no, no idea how much bigger it's going to get, but probably 100 times bigger, 1,000 times bigger. Wow. Yeah. And how how could it be 2020 and there was no refrigerated truck? There was no company in the country of Rwanda with three refrigerated trucks or yeah. two, for that matter. Yeah. It didn't exist yet. Uh, he saw it. He grabbed the opportunity and and it's his market to, to you know, grow out now. Wow. That, you know, it is interesting. Uh, the opportunity for. I, I hate to describe it this way in a way, but stepping back right solving problems that existed elsewhere in richer parts of the world uh, a decade ago 50 years ago and and bringing old solutions to old problems in a forward-looking way that's an interesting model oh, yeah. oh there's more coming like this but yeah when you know the money still even in africa the money in startups flows to tech there was like $5 billion invested into venture scale companies or venture like companies in Africa uh, in 2021. Uh, half of that went to like three companies. Um, most of it went to you know, 40 or 50 companies, almost all in fintech. Like tech still rules the day, even in Africa. Yeah. Um, and yet, what's actually needed to make a dent in the continent? Right. The very small percentage of the population is middle class city dwellers. Right. The vast majority are out in the rural areas as farmers to make a difference in their life and to, to grab the opportunity. What's needed is trucks. Yeah. Trucks, trucks, cold storage. The only real tech we need is you know, modern roads. cell phones. Yeah. There are roads. They're not very good roads, but there, there are already roads. We yeah. don't need to build roads. 
it would be nice. You know, roads would be good, railroads would be lovely, but the actual technology needed to solve um, solve real problems is diesel trucks. And I hate to bring more diesel trucks into the world, but that's what's needed. Yeah. Uh, the electric grids aren't aren't there to make electric trucks. Yeah, yeah. It it is a fascinating uh, insight. I, I, I'm not completely shocked, but it is an interesting sort of dilemma to see the the capital flowing to tech and the need, uh, you know, sort of adjacent, and you might even argue obvious and underfunded, right? Clearly not obvious, but. Uh... <laughs> But uh, if you if you take a step back, you can you can see these holes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're not they're not that hard to fill. It's just capitalism. You know, capitalism works great, right? Best system, except all others, right? right yeah. <laughs> uh, but capitalism is great. One of its flaws is that capital does not flow where it's most needed. Capital flows to where the risk is low enough, uh, where there's comfort for the investors. And Africa is not where there's comfort for investors. It's not where you minimize risks. It's yeah. not that you know, in bulk, it this, it the style of investing we're doing as a portfolio, yeah, risks of going to zero are really low, like basically zero. Um, but you know, in any given opportunity, oh, we've seen floods and droughts, and you know, we even saw locusts one year, like literally a billion locusts. Not, luckily, didn't hit our farms. Yeah, but. We've we've seen uh, natural disasters come and you know, shut down a company for a few months. We saw COVID come and go and shut down a company, for, uh, a few companies for a few months. Uh, but it didn't kill the companies. It didn't wipe them out. It just set them back by a few months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you you've built something now that is achieving scale, uh, it's growing. Uh, where do you go from here? What's the plan? You've got this holding company, Africa Eats. Where do you, where do you go? Uh, plan is to make it public. So the plan is to be a Berkshire style, Berkshire Hathaway style holding company, investment vehicle in Africa, in food and ag. So a little more focused than Warren and Charlie do. Uh, but to make it a public company that anyone can buy shares in anytime they feel like, leave whenever they want, not a fund. We, we do not, we're not building a fund here. We're building a permanent capital vehicle that will keep investing forever. Excellent. And uh, do you have a timeline for how that's going to become public? And, and have you mapped out the the path? Is this a, a Reg A plus offering followed by a, a NASDAQ listing or? Uh... Uh, we're an African company. So every entrepreneur in this in this portfolio is born and raised in Africa. Everyone who works for this company, except for me, is born and raised in Africa. Uh, I'm the token Mazunga, as, as they would say in West in East Africa, um, uh, and uh, so we're not actually a U.S. company. We are a Mauritius domiciled holding company. Mauritius is like the Delaware of Africa. It's a very stable uh, island country out in the middle of the um, Indian Ocean. Yeah. Uh, and the place that African companies go public is the London Stock Exchange, not the New York Stock Exchange. There's a uh, hundred and twenty-seven. African companies public already in London. Okay. As far as I know, in the U.S., there's like two. So uh, we're aiming for London. Fantastic. 
timeline or is it wait probably too early for me to pin you down on a timeline we, we have a plan and it has a date on it but let's just uh let's just quote um Kennedy and say uh before the end of the decade okay we okay. shall we shall place a stock on the stock market and return it safely to the earth <laughs> there we go <laughs> that's excellent well well that is a, a brilliant brilliant plan and uh, it's exciting to see you executing so successfully on this plan to see real uh, impact, real growth, real success by so many measures. Very exciting. Looney, you, you've accomplished a lot and, and uh, you are well-recognized and admired uh, for good reason. What is your superpower? Uh, I can see paradigms. Most people, they live inside paradigms and they don't notice. Uh, most in this space that we're talking about, there's a paradigm out there. It's called venture capital. There's a structure to it. There's a way it's been done for 60 years. Uh, and, oh my God, even when you go and talk to the, the super angels or the active angels or the VCs, and you simply ask them, what do you look for in a company? Like you you must have had someone here and and their answer is team, team, team. Because that's a that's part of the paradigm, but but what they don't mention is actually like two criteria that are even more important that come before team that they don't even know that they're screening for because they're stuck in this system. Um, and so because I can see how these paradigms work, I can see how they don't work as well. And so this is how it becomes obvious to me that the answers in Africa. I have nothing to do with with uh, you know software tech and uh, uh, and uh, you know electronics tech uh, that has to do with trucks and other things like that. Um, and it also is why I'm running a holding company instead of a fund, because in the holding company model we can keep scaling it forever. We never have to um, turn in the the winnings to the investors. Uh, we can, as Warren Buffett would put it, compound it for centuries. Uh, and we need it to compound because the the issues are just humongous. The actual problems are humongous. Yeah. Uh, and so that is my superpower is is to be able to ignore paradigms and not to, you know to see them so that they can be ignored and built upon. Now, I consider this a tangent, but you've baited us with a question I need to ask, and that is, what are the two uh, criteria venture capitalists are ignoring that aren't team, team, team? Yeah, first and foremost is opportunity size. So uh, if you bring a corner bakery to a venture capital firm, they'll say, well, that's not fundable. Yeah, it could totally be fundable. It may be that that could be, you know, the next um, the next Krispy Kreme, right? And then they have some breakthrough you know, bakery product. But it's not a big enough opportunity if it's just a corner bakery. A VC can't see that as a as a billion dollar opportunity. And so they their their associates are screening for that. They're not even seeing the, the smaller deals. Uh, and then the second one is a business model that can grab the big opportunity. And not just a business model that can grab it, a business model that needs large sums of capital to go and grab that opportunity. Because a venture capital fund, its business is to deploy capital. You would think its business is to make money. But again, if you step back from the paradigm and look at it from whatever, 30,000 miles, 
Well, if a venture capitalist finds a capital efficient business to invest in, one that takes $1,000 to make a billion dollars, which has never been in the history of mankind. But if they did find that uh, and they invested, they found 10 of them and they invested in 10 of them and they spent $10,000 or it doesn't really matter, $10 million. Uh, and they tell their their LPs, their their investors, at the end of ten years, we did great. Like here, you we we raised a, a billion dollar fund. Here's two billion dollars back. But by the way, yeah, we didn't spend two billion dollars doing it, or we didn't spend a billion dollars doing it. We spent ten thousand or ten million. Yeah. Here's that cash back too. They're not going to get another fund. The VCs are the 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 investors are going to say, well. You found those before, like we're just going to fund you a lot less from now on. And the business model for a VC fund is they get paid 2% of the assets. So they have no incentive of lowering the amount of assets they have. Their incentive is to, is to spend the money, to raise more money. And therefore, they're not looking for capital efficient businesses. Um, and again, to just flip back to, to what I, the examples I told you about, yeah, none of them spent tens of millions of dollars to be tens of millions in size or millions to be millions in size. Yeah. I look for capital efficient businesses because I don't have any money. <laughs> I need capital efficient businesses. Yeah. I don't get paid by how much money is it uh, is um has been raised. I get paid by how much these companies grow. So I, I think you're answering the question here I would have asked next, which is how does seeing this different paradigm or being able to see a paradigm that others simply live within how does that impact and i think what you're saying is you're able to invest for higher returns lower capital uh in part but what, how how yeah, else might you add to that well one uh i run a company in africa uh, i live in the states i grew up in the states i hadn't even been to africa till 2016 uh, the first company I talk about was 2014 here. I brought the companies here for years, but I didn't go visit them until 2016. Um, uh, and so first and foremost, just the, uh, the opportunity of another part of the world, because I'm not hung up on what's the next great tech invention in the, in the U.S. Uh, secondly, is I'm not hung up on fund. So I have the, um, the freedom to do any structure that makes sense. Any structure that actually makes sense to make to make uh, both impact and returns in the world, I'm allowed to use because I'm not tied to it has to be a two and 20 fund. Uh, and then thirdly, I can find great companies that are, quote, unfundable. And I have, I, I would say of my two dozen companies, two dozen of them are unfundable. <laughs> right. Uh, by all by all normal measures, they're unfundable because they don't fit this this paradigm. Uh, and therefore, I don't have any competition at the moment for funding these companies. And I, I'm an impact investor. I don't take advantage of that. But uh, it just it, it leads to very interesting opportunities because uh, we can go and uh, find something that literally no one else on the planet would ever fund uh, and take it, take a small chance on it. And when that proves out, take bigger and bigger chances on it and, and make it big. Yeah. Looney, if you were going to talk to your group of entrepreneurs, your your portfolio CEOs, for instance, and you probably do this all the time, them and train them. If you were coaching them today on 
how to see a paradigm. Take advantage. How would you coach them to see it? How would you train them to learn to do what you do? Oh, God, you ask hard questions. No one's ever asked me that before. Um, (laughs) I would say in this particular paradigm, the benefit is my entrepreneurs don't know what it is. They don't know what venture capital is. So they don't, they don't, it's not that they don't, it's not that they have to see through it. They don't even know what it is. Um, But in other areas, yeah, I, I taught at a business school. I taught at a very strange business school for eight years. It's called Bainbridge. It was called Bainbridge Graduate Institute. First business school to teach how to do good through business, how to do how to make change in the world using for-profit mechanisms. This is where I learned what I do. Uh, I learned it as a teacher there, which seems a little bit odd. Uh, I was teaching entrepreneurship. Uh, I set it on a lot of other classes. The whole gist of the school was to make change and to teach the students how to make change. Uh, making and that's that's somewhat in in this in this answer to you. If in order to make change, you have to show there's a problem. In order to show there's a problem, you have to show what the framework is. Uh, and I'll say it's a next to impossible task. Um, yeah, uh, more, there's a lot more failure than success in the, in those teachings. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Well, Looney, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. You're doing something truly amazing. Uh, before we wrap up, would you take just a minute and tell people how they can learn more about Africa Eats, if they can invest, how they do that? Uh, just give us kind of a little bit of a lowdown and, and, and then maybe wrap up with how people can connect with you. Okay, simplest. Uh, it's africaeats.com. Might be an African company, but we're still, you know, a company. We have a website. Uh, on that website, you will find the whole pitch deck. Uh, it's, some things are lovely being an African company. Uh, click on how it works. There is a, a version of the pitch deck sitting there. Uh, if that looks interesting to you, hit the contact button, fill out the form. We will get back to you. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. Uh, and no, no surprise, it's at Africa Eats. Come follow. Uh, if you want to see these companies in action and see what they look like for real, uh, you can go to the Africa Eats channel on YouTube and watch some site visit videos and, and other videos about these companies. Uh, and then there's a whole lot of blog posts on the website, including some more site visits from um, back when these companies were just in fledge uh, and lot, a lot more insight into what it means to do a holding company and, and uh, more benefits that come from that structure. Fantastic. Well, Looney, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. We wish you every success in growing Africa Eats to address the uh, poverty and malnutrition in, on that continent. Uh, kudos to you. And again, we wish you every success. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me share my story. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show twice each week. We host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now keep using your superpowers for good. 
Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.